0: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com.
1: This week on Meetin and 3, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentisana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School.
2: This idea of family style and made-from-scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city.
1: We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery.
2: Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history.
1: And we'll tour Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm.
3: We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water.
1: Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: You're listening to Feast Meets West the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine or culture by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Today, we're chatting with Nicole Ponseca and Miguel Trinidad of the critically acclaimed Filipino restaurants here in New York City, Maharlika and Jeepney. They also came out with a beautiful tome of a cookbook called, I Am a Filipino and This is How We Cook, last year. It's been recognized as a best cookbook of the year by the New Yorker, Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune. Los Angeles Times, New York Times Book Review, Food 52, and so many more. Just wow. I am lucky to own a copy, and I just love flipping through the colorful photos, the diverse range of recipes, but also reading the stories about Filipino culture, history, and the way of life. So uh, just congratulations on this accomplishment, Nicole and Miguel.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: All right, a little... About our guests before we get into it. Nicole is the founder and creative director of Maharlika and Jeepney. Uh, she is a San Diego native and she moved to New York to pursue a career in advertising, but found her true calling upon discovering a lack of Filipino food in the city and decided to do something about it. Together with Chef Miguel Trinidad, who is the executive chef and co-owner of the restaurants, they are changing the conversation around Filipino food and bringing the cuisine into the American mainstream. And yes, Filipino cuisine rightly deserves its space and recognition on the global stage, no longer to be overlooked. And from a personal note, I had Filipino breakfast for the first time at Maharlika, and I experienced a Kamayan feast and tried balut for the first time at Jeepney. Not only Are they both restaurants that are educating us about Filipino food, but they're also just fun restaurants with delicious food that New Yorkers love to dine in for any occasion. And so thank you guys for creating these spaces and for driving the conversation around Filipino food.
1: Thank you. All
3: right, Nicole. Uh, let's start with you. Your story and intro to the book is deeply moving and personal. Um, for our listeners that are not familiar, can you provide an overview of your journey from ad executive to restaurateur? Right. <laughs> In a nutshell. In a uh, nutshell, what did that take?
1: Um, well, I was at Saatchi, and uh, I was uh, twenty-one, newly from San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I took for granted how diverse San Francisco was in terms of the Chinese-Filipino community. And And you moved
3: there from San Diego?
1: uh, Yes, I I lived in San Diego, grew Mm -hmm. up there, went to college at the University of San Francisco. And then uh, I think I graduated on May 23rd, and I wound up in New York on June 1st. So that's always been a big anniversary for me. And I had $75, no job, no place to live, no friends, no family, in um, a one-way ticket.
3: How did you decide on New York?
1: Um, I always knew that I was going to be in New York. Um, I grew up watching Coco on Fame, or <laughs> uh, Woody Allen movies. Oh yeah. Um, uh, was a little obsessed with Jackie O and John John, and you know, hearing about this neighborhood, Tribeca
3: out and yeah. I
1: just everything about New York, you know, De Niro, everything, the 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 attitude, the swag, the mm-hmm. grit. Um I loved it and, and without if you having were,
3: been here uh going into the ad industry too, like the the Mad Men here yeah. in New York.
1: Yeah. So, I knew going into college that I was going to be in advertising. Mm-hmm. I started working even as a freshman um full units and working um at a small agency called Goldberg Moser O'Neill. And I felt what I was doing was planting seeds, knowing that I was going to go to New York. And then I would have all these, you know, seemingly connections for, at, at that time, we would call informational interviews. Uh, let me cut to the chase after that. I mean, I, I got here, I gave myself 14 days, and I said, you know, within fourteen days if I don't have any offers, I gotta I, I can't live here anymore. I lived in a Filipino convent. I lived in a Kano lodge in Newark. It's been a long journey and you know, I was just really focused. Um, and in advertising I loved it. I love mm-hmm. the people. I love strategy. I love planning. I love the idea of shared teamwork. Um, and shared um, acknowledgement of you know working on a campaign. I was very accustomed to that. Um, and when I was working on a creative brief, it really dawned on me what a target market is, and who was getting attention, and when mm-hmm. it was not people of color, right? And uh, specifically, even not Filipinos, from my knowledge. And then, I, and then at that time, Thai food was getting really popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, people would always ask me, "Where do we go for Thai food?" I'm like, "Yo, bitch, I'm not Thai. What are you talking?" You know, like if you can only imagine pad Thai as a dish was just gaining popularity at that time. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's '98 at that time. You know, Food Network wasn't really where it is. Social media wasn't. And uh, I was trying to think, how can I bridge my knowledge of the lack of diversity in advertising campaigns, that we weren't given any acknowledgement, that you know, we're even part of a Target demo? And I said, hmm, maybe I could do that through food. And uh, I never thought I was going to be a restaurateur. I thought I was going to be the next uh, Donny Deutsch. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, it, that's where the idea really sparked was maybe I could help translate my culture through, uh, through food. Right. And, wow. um, I moonlighted for 12 years. So while I was an ad exec, um, at night I started as a dishwasher
3: and like a you knew you wanted to get in the industry and you just started.
1: Yeah. I knew that I, I knew that restaurants had a 90% failure rate. Mm. I knew that, I was scared shitless of, you know, people coming in drunk or coked up. I was so scared of people coming in coked up and or like calling out for their shift that um, I said, I I better teach myself how to bartend in case I need to bartend. I better learn how to dishwash if I need to dishwash. Mm -hmm. And um, I can recall even dumbing down, like, you know, taking off my makeup, putting my hair in a bun Mm -hmm. and just really putting my head down so that they wouldn't see who I was in the day which was an Ann Taylor you know or <laughs> Banana Republic person I don't know. so yeah it was I I believe in long-range vision I believe in um paying your dues and that it's never really overnight yeah so. and so how
3: long did you do that for moonlighting before you <clears throat> took the jump
1: so I I led two lives for 12 years, 12 years yeah on. so well at that time you know, I remember yeah. people weren't going to the boroughs. You know, you needed, you literally needed and figuratively needed a passport if you were going to go to Queens or Brooklyn for right. food. And um, it was just a different New York then. I, I want to preface that for people who, are, who may be listening that might be thinking the New York now is the New York then and it wasn't. Yeah. And so we had an expense account. And we were going to the best restaurants in New York City at that time, Asia to Cuba. And it was all Mm -hmm. Mm Manhattan-centric. And uh, I spent my 20s working um, on the weekends while my friends were, you know, renting houses in the summertime. And just a different experience for me. So uh, 12 years. 12 years. And then uh, I got a GM position. And I I bounced advertising. (laughs) Nice.
3: And then you saw the daylight. (laughs) I saw the daylight. Um, And Miguel, when and how did you get involved in the process? Uh,
2: I got involved in the process meeting Nicole at a restaurant in Soho. Uh, I literally had just graduated culinary school, and I went for an interview at this place, and she was my first interview before I met with Chef. And that's how... I got introduced to Nicole. Mm-hmm. Uh, months later, I became the executive chef of the restaurant. And Amazing. I saw Nicole sitting in a corner crying. Oh. So I, I approached her and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she she told me she wanted to open up a Filipino restaurant, but couldn't find a chef that would believe in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I turned to her and I said, well, let me help you out with it. You know, I can be your puppet. It's like, tell me what you want to do and we can do this together. And that was the birth of our relationship. That's how I got into Filipino food. I didn't know much about it, so most of the things that I learned was from her and her father and doing a lot of research and reading books. We were running a pop-up out of her apartment where we would invite complete strangers into the apartment just to cook for them and see what kind of response we would get. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we really went rogue and you You did some real
3: testing some audience targeting some testing
1: yeah i I believe like there's a book by malcolm gladwell called the outlier and putting the hours in and um actually miguel and i practiced the food for about two years before we even
3: yeah i was gonna ask um, wow
1: opened up as a a pop-up a legitimate pop-up and at that time no one called it a pop-up we called ourselves a limited engagement because the word hadn't even
3: Yeah, that was a different era. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I think it was like Time Out New York that said we were popping up and then born um, an idea for, I think, other entrepreneurs to start very scrappily. Yeah, um, test out the market. Test out the market. And as Miguel said, we would... um, invite people if we met you in a bodega and found out you were Filipino we'd be like come over to the house and um, we we set up the living room like a restaurant we Mm -hmm. had menus and you know my couch became a (laughs) banquet. and um, Miguel really honed in on Filipino flavors I think during that time
3: yeah and then you also mentioned connecting with Nicole's family on this getting was that part of the crash course as well
2: (laughs) Uh, well, Nicole's father is the cook of the family, and you know he flew out to New York one weekend, and we cooked in the kitchen. And he's always been one of my greatest sources. You know, reaching out to him, it's like I text him with Google Translate into Tagalog, <sighs> and he responds, wow. and then I translate, so we go back and forth. Uh, so yeah, connecting with her family really helped you know hone my skills when mm-hmm. it comes to Filipino food. And as we progressed with this project, we eventually took a three-and-a-half-month trip and backpack throughout the Philippines to really oh, wow. learn more about the food, the culture, and the people.
3: Yeah. Where did you guys all travel during that time?
1: We we started in Manila, and then we found ourselves in Pugudpud, which is the most northern part of the mm, Philippines, mm-hmm. and zigzagged our way down um, and then in ensuing trips, we found ourselves in ARM, which is the autonomous region of Muslim Mindanao. Um, the food there is really unknown for even a lot of Filipinos, which I hope the book helps highlight. Mm-hmm. Cuisine that is even unknown to me mm-hmm. as a Filipino. Um, Miguel and I went spelunking in caves, <laughs> water caves, and um, motorcycled through at midnight, and. I, Such fond memories, our bike breaking down and (laughs) a family seeing us and then saying, you know, here's some Lomba and fixing the bike. I think that those experiences can't be um, dismissed Mm -hmm. in learning a cuisine and learning a people and a food. And it goes way beyond um, reading a recipe. You yeah. get to feel the soul. And I think that's why when we eat food from our mothers or our right. fathers or um, what's your culture?
3: Chinese. Chinese. So, yeah. how do you say
1: auntie in Chinese? Uh, ai. Ai. Yeah. So, if we eat our food from aies, that yeah. like, it, you can't translate that. Mm-hmm. There's, a, we call it a little something, something. And I think that that's ultimately what set us apart or at least um, gave gravitas to the food.
3: Yeah, so you guys almost had this, like, three-pronged approach where you did the research and, like, had um, recipes done with, like, your family members and then you did the pop-ups and testing in your own kitchen and then you did the whole immersion in the Philippines. And then at that point, did you know, like, we're going to open the restaurant now? Like,
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I... Um, how do I describe this when you have um, a vision or you have a dream and you're so myopic and so focused on it it never comes into question whether it's going to materialize Mm. the question is when yeah or the question becomes uh when will the opportunity strike Mm -hmm. so I remember building on the dream um separate from Miguel you know just in my own head about Mm it and um being made fun of people would say oh when are you going to open your restaurant in 2008 you know at that time and you for any of your listeners out that I say that because you really cannot be dissuaded if you really want it you have to keep going mm-hmm. um, and miguel and i were sitting in a cafe and at that time the pop up had mm-hmm. already materialized we had it in the east village we went to Will- and then we went to williamsburg we had kinfolk and then in the meat packing district and then Miguel, remember when? We had
2: decalp Market also. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And we had all these little satellites, but right. we wanted a home. And how did we get we, Maharlika?
2: We were literally sitting at this cafe with um, one of our partners at the time, and we were discussing how we were going to have or find a home base so we mm-hmm. can handle all of these little satellites. And of course, we were all thinking big and having multiple satellites all across uh, the all across New York, And the cafe that we were sitting at, the owner approached us and said, I have a restaurant on First Avenue that I'm not using. you guys interested? It was, I don't know, it just fell in our lap. We literally, this was on a Friday. We went and looked at the place. Sunday we had keys. Wow. Two weeks later. The New York way. The New (laughs) York way. I mean, two (laughs) weeks later, you know, all our friends were in there helping us paint and get the place ready to go. Two weeks later, we were open.
1: You know, that's so funny you say that because I always was like, when am I going to get the New York hookup? You know, like, and that that's what it is. Like, being in the right place, right time, speaking up. And as Miguel said, just t- talking it out loud. Yeah, and then, that it helps
3: to, to you ask am not. Universe. You have to. Some
1: people like yeah. to keep their dreams right, close. And right. to an extent, the execution, yes. Yeah. But you got to tell people. Right,
3: and you've been, like, talking it up for, like, 10 years at that point. More oh, than I that. mean, I, yeah. Yeah, it was, it's been a while. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so you guys opened Maharlika and then Jeepney, and um, now it's almost been like 10 years since then, right? It's, Can you believe that? <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> um, so what compelled you to uh, publish the book last year? How did you know it was the right time to do that?
2: This was something that Nicole had been working on for years. It's something that she... <clears throat> thought about many years ago even before she met me she knew she wanted to do a book and uh, she's ambitious (laughs) (laughs) so you know she put the work into it we were sitting at the restaurant we met Um, one of the regulars was a publisher who just connected us to the right people again you guys
3: were talking about it
2: right and um, someone heard exactly and he told us you know he connected us with the right people and the ball started rolling and two and a half years later here comes you know the birth of the cookbook you know i am a filipino and this is how we cook yeah Uh, the title was very important uh, because there's so many different ways of cooking filipino food Mm -hmm. and none of them are wrong they're all equally delicious but this Mm -hmm. is the way we cook
1: Mm -hmm. um so really the idea for the book is 20 years as well like I I said I'm a long-term dreamer (laughs) and uh, I had started conceptualizing it then Mm -hmm. so the title of the book harkens to a poem from um, a a, a politician in 1940s I am a Filipino and Mm -hmm. you have to remember it's like World War II imperialism there's so much going on and it was so poetic and I'll never forget the line it was like um, I have an obligation to my past and responsibility to my future. And mm-hmm. so once I got that line and nailed, it solidified what I thought the book was going to turn out to be. And I, I, I bring that back to my advertising days, having a creative brief, having a proposal, and knowing from the start what you're about. It keeps you rooted. It keeps decisions at bay or choices. Um, and the book was just nominated. We found out today, by the way, for uh, James
3: Beard. Oh my gosh, congrats, yeah, you yeah. guys. Yeah. It really is, because um, it, it really is something, because it's not just a cookbook, and you wrote this um, in your intro, too, and I'll, I'll read a quick snippet from it. Okay. But you, you wrote, Nicole, this is not just a cookbook, it's a manifesto. It's our goal to help change the conversation about the foods I grew up on so that no one ever has to feel embarrassed about Filipino food and its customs like I was. We want to reframe the thinking so that people can consider Filipino food modern, authentic, and relevant by highlighting the details like its choice ingredients, unique flavors, and distinct techniques. We want to give Filipino food a seat at the culinary table. Let Filipino food be universally regarded as one of the world's classic cuisines. Ambitious! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, um,
1: Yeah, so that was written a while ago, so thank you um, for even having us here and talking about the book. Um, In the intro, I wanted to make sure that the book put Filipino food in the language of chef's cuisine. Mm-hmm. So in um, in cooking, we know mother sauces. Mm. Well, in Filipino food, we also have mother sauces and our own version of mirepoix. And I think that when we elevate a cuisine in a vocabulary that's well-respected, the food then... It cannot be anything but elevated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it does a lot, not just for the food, but for a community, a culture. And it helps diversify an industry um, with new ingredients, new ways of cooking. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I thought you guys did a great job in making it accessible. So like breaking down the book so people wouldn't feel intimidated cooking from it. Oh, um, that's all Miguel. yes, yeah. definitely Miguel's. Yeah, good work on that, Miguel.
2: Thank you. <laughs> you know, we wanted to make sure that people weren't intimidated to try Filipino food and make it as simple as possible because it is a very simple cuisine it's all about technique and understanding when to brown your garlic and when to add the meat yeah and you know letting people know that most of the ingredients were available in your cupboard you didn't really have to go out and seek new things with the exception of you know fermented shrimp paste which is so delicious (laughs) um, but we wanted to make it as simple and you know Easily accessible to everyone.
1: Yeah, I think that you'll, I think a lot of people will be surprised that they could cook an, any number of dishes with the ingredients that they already have in their mm-hmm. pantry. If you've got soy sauce, people,
0: if you've got <laughs>
1: vinegar, yeah. bay leaves, Check. garlic, <laughs> right. peppercorn, you have adobo. Already, you have it in your kitchen, you could do it with broccoli, you can do it with kangkong. you can do it with fish or pork, like, you're already on your way to being um, an honorary Filipino.
3: Oh, that's so awesome. Um, So let's also talk about what were some of your favorite dishes in the book? I know, you know, every recipe is your baby, but like, which ones do you guys tend to, you know, come back to and cook a lot of?
2: Linampang. All right, and what and that what is, is that? Yeah. it's it's a fish soup, but the vegetables are charred, the ve- mm. uh, the fish is charred and then you put it in a nice fish broth and just let it cook down. So the broth itself just draws out all that smoky flavor, which I can oh. I'm salivating right now just thinking yeah. about it. But the key to this one is that at the end you finish off, you finish it off with a touch of evaporated milk. Oh. And it just mellows the dish out and brings all the flavors out together so you can taste every single thing, the tomato, the onion, the fish. Plus, the smoke, it's so colorful. And it's, char, and it's nice and has a nice texture to yeah. the broth as well.
1: I mean, I've never had a soup where the soup tastes grilled. Tell me how you grill a soup, and I'll show you Lin I'm <laughs> How do you grill a soup? I mean, that's what it is. So yeah. with every bite, you get this smokiness. Yeah, It's so... Is that from
3: a particular region of the Philippines? It's from an area called Iloilo.
1: Which is part of a strip of islands called the Bisayan Islands. So there's three major regions mm. in the Philippines: Luzon, um, Bisayan, and then Mindanao. And in Bisayan Islands, there's uh, an area called Iloilo, and it's just so rich with seafood. And you know, it was a port for um, Chinese immigration, so you see a lot of Chinese right. influence. Yeah, in that fact, influence. the first bite of Filipino food a lot of people will have is Chinese um in background it could be lumpia or it could be Chopao mm. and pancit so um, this particular area is called Ilo Ilo and we really loved the food there right makes, everything
2: like, we had there was amazing yeah. I mean it was the first time I ever had spider conch which if you don't know what spider conch is it's <laughs> please it's describe a, it's a sea snail uh, basically but you know it was just steamed and you pulled it out of the shell and dipped it in some calamansi and suka suka wow. bean vinegar yeah. and just so you fresh. can taste yeah. the ocean you can taste the freshness amazing food everywhere you went in iloilo mm-hmm. i mean across all of the philippines it just changed from region to region and really took you to a different place depending on where you were
1: yeah, yeah the the nuance and the regionality in filipino food is so um, beautiful it's so it's so tasty it's specific it's its own farm to table mm-hmm. um, which as growing up as a Filipino in America I
3: had no idea of that yeah it was that level of regionality and specialization none zilch <laughs> yeah. zippo oh my gosh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nicole, what about you? What are your, some of your favorite recipes from the book?
1: Well, one is um, a, m- a modern take on something very simple, which is garlic rice. And um, if you had it or your listeners out there, it's a it's a breakfast staple, usually served with um, a fried egg. And um, Sin, how do you pronounce it? Sinangag? Say it again. (laughs) I cannot get that in. Um, So um, usually it's just frying up a little garlic and then putting in old rice. But the way Miguel approached that dish, all of a sudden the garlic was thoroughly permeated in every bite Mm -hmm. and four ingredients, huh? Rice, garlic, salt, and oil.
0: And again, like
1: what he was saying, the way he applied his technique, all of a sudden took something so simple and just made it really professional grade that anyone can do at home through the book. Um, And then hmm, I would say I like any of the adobos. And there's a whole chapter Um, About it growing up I thought there was only one kind which is with soy sauce right and then we have one that is not with soy sauce with only vinegar and cloves and baking spices or one with achuete which Mm. is a red adobo so
3: what makes it an adobo what's the foundation of an adobo
2: vinegar Mm. vinegar is definitely the key ingredient in making an adobo because it was a form of preservation so whenever an adobo was cooked it could be left out you know all day long and it wouldn't spoil it was even left out overnight and it wouldn't spoil and the flavors just developed as it sat longer so Again, depending on what region you were, the adobo mm. could change. In now they added uh, the spices that were available. So you had some clove, cinnamon, and star anise. Or turmeric. Or turmeric if you went further, uh, further south. Um, which turmeric is a whole different flavor, which was amazing to me. Um, as you go up to central Manila, it's more soy sauce-based. And then you go gotcha. a little bit west, and you have some coconut milk that's incorporated into it. So... I mean, there's so many different adobos. With 7,107 islands, so oh like, you know, everybody's Lola makes the best <laughs> adobo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, do it
1: your
3: way adobo your way
2: yeah your way. we
1: you know a lot of people were so shocked to see that and and now it just opens this conversation for um interpretation mm. it doesn't i think what has plagued filipino food in the past was oh it's not like my mom's or this is, but there mm-hmm. there's no way we could compete with your mom's and yeah. there's so many different ways to do it at that so I would say adobo and garlic rice.
3: Amazing. Okay, so as I am salivating, (laughs) we will take a really quick break and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West.
0: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. EMI is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including cottbalt Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emeusa.com.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Um, So, Nicole and Miguel, um, what were some of the surprising things you learned in your research as you were writing the book? A couple things.
1: One, you know, there's a very popular dish called sinagang, and it's a sour soup in the Philippines and usually it's done with guava or tamarind I mean we grow up on this usually you just rip open um uh, an envelope of nor synagogue mix mix it with water and then have at it you know you'll do a little nuance to make it your own but it's mm. pretty simple Uh, I was shocked to learn that green pineapple was used as a souring agent in the Philippines. And we could say that prior to the deal with Dole and selling it as a mass market, as a sweet um, fruit,
3: Mm. um,
1: that it was more prevalent as a souring addition to synagogue. Those kind of things like you can't. Yeah.
3: Like the history of that fruit. Yeah.
1: And then (laughs) it opens up a whole new world of cooking. Like, Oh, can I cook green pineapple on a grill? Can I make it into a salad ingredient like you would with green papaya? Like, is it too fibrous? Mm. Like, uh, it's just so interesting. It opens a whole new world. Um, So that would be a big one for me. Yeah, so a lot
3: of new ingredients. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest things for me was the Spanish influence. Mm. There were so many things that throughout a travel I would try and I'm like, oh. You know, this is our Chivo. Like Caldereta, which is a goat stew in Dominican Republic we call it Chivo Guisao. Afritada is our pollo guisao. Arroz caldo, which is made with garlic and ginger in the Philippines, we do it with garlic and tomato. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of similarities in the yeah. food that kind of transported me back to my childhood. Yeah, and so made that it was easier familiar for yeah, you? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Oh, and then when we were in Mindanao we heard on the radio a long um, a, or almost forgotten language called Chavacano. And I had no idea that Chavacano existed and it's really almost like a patois, but it's it's Spanish, okay So when it came up on the radio, Miguel was like, I know everything that they're saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really know everything You're that like, they're talking about.
3: Unlock this like secret box in your head.
1: <laughs> this secret
2: box, I was like, all right, they cannot fuck with me now. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and
3: then that that just solidified
1: so for fun. me we are Latino Asians. Don't mm. let, let's not <laughs> mince words. It's in our last names, it's in our culture, it's in our um, chanclas or <laughs> chanelas, and it's in the language. I mean, we're so embedded as Latinos that to not acknowledge that is yeah. really, you know, not even talking about the Filipino culture. Right.
3: And that's also what makes the Philippines so special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And with that, if I may, I was really surprised to see how much more Mexican we are that we were i was able with miguel to connect the dots that even more than spanish more than spain we are in part mexicans it's in empanadas it's in the tamales mm. it's in a style of dress that we share with puebla it's in a mole that we have in the philippines called bacatulosog like I think it's really convenient to say we're Spanish, Mm -hmm. but let's get real. Who were we likely rubbing elbows with those who came on ship through the Spanish galleon trade? Likely Mexicans Mm -hmm. who were sailing through Acapulco, through the Manila-Acapulco trade. That to me was like, duh. (laughs) Now when I see Mexicans, I see so much more of our similarities, even in facial structure and...
3: In our food. Yeah. And, 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 and through your cookbook, you're telling that story. You're driving awareness towards that as well. Absolutely. Orderly.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the book itself, I've not seen a Filipino food broken down like this, where we take each cultural influence and break it down into a chapter. So there's a whole chapter on Chinese connection. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter on Mexico and Spain. And what is often not even, you know, heard of is the Muslim side. Um, And the food there is fantastic.
3: Yeah, that's a really good way to categorize the food. Um, so of course there was just so much to learn and so much to include, um, in your cookbook. Um, yeah. What were some of the most challenging things in, in putting it together? It was just, it's just so much content.
2: I mean, when it came to putting all these recipes together, uh, we ran out of pages. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that we had to cut. Um, but.
3: A part two Uh, (laughs) coming
2: soon? from your lips to God's ears. uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, there'll be a volume two, hopefully. But there were so many things that were so delicious that we wanted to share with everybody. But, you know, you're limited as to how much we can put into the book. And it was very important for us, for Nicole, to share the story about what it was to be Filipino, what the regions were like, and really show people that this book was not only a cookbook, but a manifesto as to what Filipino life is all about.
3: Yeah, and what did you guys learn about yourselves in the process? All the traveling and the writing and the long hours?
2: Well, we learned that the hustle is real. You know, we worked long hours, we pushed ourselves. It was something that we both believed in and there wasn't anybody who was gonna tell us we couldn't do it, you know?
1: would say one of the biggest challenges is how do you talk about a culture and interpret it for mainstream and be honorable in the narrative um, yeah I've never written a book before so how do you translate culture and and not dumb it down um, from whose viewpoint are you talking about food all of that is really it's a, pres- a lot of pressure It's a lot of pressure uh I mean I was just yeah. like I want to make sure I get it right um I had hired a woman by the name of Melissa Sapin out in San Francisco um, because I was very cautious how to write mm. um I wanted to make sure that I, I hit the notes and you know the politics of writing is changing. How do we refer to a food, you know? um, I'll give you an example. Okay, could be very easy for me to always relate a dish to a mainstream dish. For instance, if I call pinakbet ratatouille, Mm. or if I say, oh, this is the American version of this, or this is the... At some point, you got ba- to pull out of that narrative and just call the food for what it is mm. and have very descriptive and creative ways on how to translate the food without having to market it as a version of X. Right. Does that make yeah, sense? So yeah. I hired, the, I, I, I was talking to my friend over at Penguin, um, another publishing company who, whose name is Elder Roto, who was talking to me about the responsibility of people in color in publishing, that we have such a lack of representation in it that, okay, no big deal. <laughs> um, and I said, well, how, how can I make sure that we were honorable and uh, she connected me to a writer's group. And Melissa Sapin, who helped, was out of San Francisco, went through with the chapters with me to make sure, you know, let's reframe this sentence this way. Right. It was very, um, I, I like feel every so. Sentence every was very sentence, very thoughtful. Very yeah, much so. That's incredible. You know, I'll, I'll say this yeah. to you In writing this book, I'm aware of an interview that Dave Chappelle gave with Howard Stern. And in this interview, Howard Stern is talking about Dave Chappelle's wife, who happens to be Filipino.
3: Okay.
1: And Howard Stern is giving an opinion of being Filipino, mm. and Robin is giving an opinion, and then there's Dave Chappelle, um, who is the closest one being married <laughs> to one. Okay. But I thought, really odd, here we are, a room of four. Talking about Filipinos, but the only one not the only one talking about Filipino is not a Filipino. Yeah. So I knew. Okay. So now if I'm in the room, how are we going to do this? And um, I think hopefully we did a really good job
3: at that. Yeah, it's definitely a start to the conversation too. Um, And um, you know, you guys have done so much. And in achieving your mission to start the conversation, drive the conversation around Filipino food, um, have you had to make some sacrifices, do you think? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, just being in the restaurant business itself. Sleep. How do you, how do you stay sane? <laughs> how do you do it?
2: There's a lot of breathing involved. Um, but, you know, for, I would say, the first five, six years, we sacrificed friendships and yeah. our, uh, having a life because the restaurant was everything. And I think now in the past two years, we've found a way to find that balance and really enjoy the fruits of our labor and really just balance everything out. Would you agree?
1: Um, what were the sacrifices? I think, um, yeah, I could joke about sleep could joke about um, maybe what's not so funny, maybe our relationships and mm. things like that. Um, but I think Miguel's right. We're, we're at a different stage of that. When you're in the middle of the hustle, mm-hmm. you eat, sleep, drink um, your hustle. Yeah. And um, I, I think that we'll always have that in us. We're We're, we're immigrant kids too, you know, like... It's not that the job is done. It's like, what's the next job? Yeah, You know, Um, but balance, maturity, therapy, Mm. (laughs) all of that. Um, And I don't think that that really gets talked a lot about. Mm, I hear smatterings of it, but really like balance and mental health within this industry is really lacking. Yeah,
3: yeah. uh, How do you strive for that work-life balance? Do you have to just really carve out time for yourself?
1: You have to demand it. Um, yes, In, uh, it's like unlike anything else, what you value, you have to fight for. Mm-hmm. So that could be me at 20, um, fighting for a job or a salary, or me now at 25. <laughs> for me now later on and like what what are my values and what mm-hmm. do I want to fight for. Um, fortunately, a lot of what I wanted to accomplish, I checked off, you yeah. know. I said I wanted to have the first commercially and um, critically acclaimed Filipino restaurant. It had to be both. We um, did that and uh, the book and um, I don't know, yeah.
3: And uh, why do you think it's taken this long for... Filipino food to have a voice. Do you feel like there have been other, say, milestones in the dining landscape or changes in a diner's perceptions that have helped people become more curious about Filipino cuisine now?
2: I think everybody was pretty slow and they just started catching up. I mean, Filipino food has been around for a long time and You know, if you go out to Queens, you'll see it there. If you go out to Jersey, you're going to see it. You know, what we wanted to do is provide an environment that people felt safe, that was modern. Food was true to its origin. And people started to come. I mean, growing up, everybody I knew knew a Filipino one way or another. There was one degree of separation. Mm -hmm. So... Filipinos bring all these cultures into this restaurant and it's a safe place with a cool vibe and great food and awesome music. It's a whole experience. And I think people are starting to catch up to something that has been around for a very long time.
3: Yeah.
1: I think um, there's a few things going on, right? So you had the late Anthony Bourdain break open the fucking door to food that people would not even think about yeah. much less seek or try. Yeah. Like he put it in your head, think about this. Think about the people behind it. Think mm-hmm. about this big world that can be refreshingly small when we look at cuisine as a tr- as a passport to new um so th- there's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you have I'm I'm sure I'm not saying anything new that hasn't been said before. Food Network, and then they have social media. So you have all this confluence of of events and influence. And then what I was saying earlier is you before needed a passport to go to Queens Mm -hmm. or Brooklyn. And I mean that in in the sense of immigrants. And it wasn't mainstream yet. Fortunately, real estate pushes us out and we get to explore. Let's look at the upside of it. And then there's this idea for Filipino food specifically, that there's a renaissance. And there's a renaissance of this first gen of, p- of kids like myself, mm-hmm. um, like our diners, who grew up being third in the story of uh, in a classroom or in social studies. Right. And all of them are now educated, they're professionals, they're out there, we're in a different political climate. And it's like, why not me? And I think that that's what we said with the food and they gravitated toward it. And those who weren't Filipino were like, yeah, why not you?
3: Yeah, so, it's so good. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so, like you said earlier, um, when you first, um, you know, moved to New York, there was no social media
2: Mm-mm.
1: Or like
3: Food Network as much. So there was yeah. Asian
1: Avenue. Do you remember Asian Avenue? My mm. God. Okay. I don't. <laughs> Do you know MySpace? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there was Friendster.
3: Yes. Yes. Shit. There was Friendster. Do you know yes. Friendster? Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: And so there was. That, but it wasn't like you know. There was
3: no Instagram. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on social media now and how that plays a role in things?
2: Um, it's a powerful tool. I mean, you know, it reaches so many people in an instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it definitely helps businesses. And yeah,
3: especially if you're educating on something new. And
2: exactly. You know, it sparks interest, and I, I think it's a wonderful tool. It's helped us a lot.
1: With great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and there I think go. that <laughs> social media has a great power. Um, there's two sides to the, cor- uh, to the coin. Obviously, could be very. Um, Addicting and mm-hmm. this uh, evolution of love sought through likes. Yeah. You know? But I'm not, I'm no expert on that. What I can say is that what we have benefited through social media, which is hey, there's this guy named Chef Bong in Pampanga who is following us and he's down oh, to that. show us a dish. Or there is a remote ass island off of Mindanao and they heard about you. And they know about you through the Facebook and they would, they're, they're really open to hosting you. Now that, that, that shit would not happen. I mean, when Miguel and I first started researching and backpacking, we were hitchhiking, lucky to find, you know, Hey, where do we go to eat now? Social media made again, the world refreshingly small.
3: Yeah. It's definitely sounds like more, more positives um, than negatives on that point. And um, all right, so since you guys have opened up Maharlika and Jeepney, um, and again, it's almost been a decade, uh, how do you feel the conversation has progressed and changed? You're feeling good about things.
1: How has it uh, changed? Ah, it's such a different world. There's there's, um, 50 states and maybe a new Filipino restaurant opening in every one of them. Um, there are full communities, chefs that were like, let me support you. Uh, where did you get that ingredient? There's a conversation. There's now a headquarters. There's a home for people. You know, I, I remember going to this one city and I said, well, when dignitaries come, where do you bring your dignitaries? Uh, uh, you know, a Philippine mm, company. Mm-hmm. And then they said, we, we go to this Thai restaurant around the corner. Now that's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Um, kids will grow up maybe not being so embarrassed about Balut or eating with their hands or using a euphemism to describe a, a chocolate stew, which is made with blood I mean, it is, it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, Toyo Eatery just won um, one of the top 50 restaurants in Asia, the Philippi- The only um, bad saint in Washington, D.C. I mean, stop me, because, because I could go on and on. <laughs> Melissa Miranda is opening up in Seattle this was not what happened yeah. when I was out there in them streets and knocking on doors and trying to find a Filipino chef to say, hey, you know, I think there's something here.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. You recognize that, though, early on. And kudos to you and Miguel on being part of that wave and leading the charge.
1: And if I may, yeah. um, there were restaurants bef- way fucking before us, whether it was Cendrion or Crystal's. Um, or um, what was the one on First Avenue of starts with an E migs do you remember LV's. LV's, which people still ask hey what happened to LV's? you know like the food was always good um, the market's just different now mm-hmm. yeah.
3: yeah and i think like you bringing your marketing and advertising expertise to building awareness around the restaurants that did help It didn't hurt. (laughs) It didn't hurt. So what's next for you guys?
2: Uh, We're going to cook on the moon. We're going to take Filipino food (laughs) into outer space. Um, What's next? We're, you know, there's so many possibilities, but, you know, we definitely want to build a brand and um, hit some second cities and possibly even the West Coast.
1: Um, And we're looking forward to just enjoying this nomination of James Beard. I mean shit that's so
3: that's the oscars of food right there. it's so
1: bomb except i called my mom today and i said mom you know we were just nominated for a james beard she's like what's that well it's kind of like oscars for food she's like well anyway i have to go gardening now I was like, <laughs> way to keep it real yeah. way to keep it real wow.
3: But you know, she's like telling every single <laughs> relative and friend. Yeah. Well, now, I just want know, to, like, <laughs> we're
1: keeping it real. But it's really nice to be acknowledged by such a prestigious group of people who know food, who understand industry. And mm-hmm. that's, it's, I mean, it's such an honor.
3: Yeah. yeah. The recognition is getting diversified. Yeah. It's great to see. Yes. Um, okay, so before we wrap up the show, we always ask a round of fun quick-fire questions. And it's meant to be fast, so just share what comes to mind first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, other than Maharlika and Jeepney, of course, what's your favorite restaurant right now?
2: Elias' Busy Corner.
1: I was going to say that! <laughs> Elias' Busy Corner. What is Corner. that?
2: It's a Greek restaurant out in Queens by Ditmar's. Amazing food, super simple. Uh, I had the most amazing Chilean sea bass that when I took a bite, I just put my fork down and I stared at the plate for a while because (laughs) I did not want the meal to end.
3: Wow, I love that description. All right, same with you too. (laughs) Okay,
1: so he took Elias's um, in New York. God, the pressure. Does anyone know Pretty Woman of a Name? The pressure <laughs> of a name. <laughs> Do You know what? You know. The pressure of a name.
3: Okay. So. It can be outside of. It
1: can, yeah. It can be outside
3: of New York too.
1: Okay. Um, damn. Well. Oh my God. Okay. So uh, I really love um, Charles Pan Fried Chicken up in Harlem. Um, good he's choice, wonderful. Good and um, if I were to go modern, I'm such a fan of um, at- um, Atla.
3: Yeah. that's yeah. gotten a lot of recognition recently, too. Yeah. Um, okay. What's the um, best thing you ate recently? And it can be out at your restaurant or at home.
2: Uh, best thing I ate recently was at Jewel Baco. Ooh. We had the omakase every and single indulgence. bite was so delicious and so fresh. well thought out
1: yeah um well i just got back from a trip and i had the best yum i've ever had in my whole entire life in this place called um kota Kinabalu, and the levels of flavor and depth was just beyond anything i've ever had before so that was it's pretty tops right
3: what now. city was that in
1: um, Kotokel, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a port city, and uh, it was not the name of the restaurant. It was, <laughs> it was a stand, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was it. Was nondescript, you know, a couple of bucks, and it was tom yum and uh, laksa and just all these colorful, fragrant. It was beautiful.
3: That's so perfect. Yeah. Okay, and this is kind of a selfish question for me since I haven't been to the Philippines. But for a first-timer visiting, what are the top three places they need to
2: visit? Davao, Palawan, and Bohol, or Panglao, which is right off of Bohol.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with him on Panglao, an island off of Bohol. Shit, the pressure (laughs) of a name. There's also
2: Sagada, but there's a special reason for that one. They have the best hash.
3: (laughs) Um, Yeah, priorities are, you know, top three are different for every individual. Yeah, I
1: I do love um, Mindanao and Maguindanao and um, everywhere we went there. It was so precious and foodie driven um, flavors, things that would never, ever... Combine. I was just starstruck with that. And, you know, what the heck? I really also loved Kiapo, which is not a tourist destination, um, but also it was um, an area where there's a lot of Muslims. Mm. And so the food is peppered with different stands from... Um, that cuisine. I'm really, I'm I'm big on that right
3: now. No, that's, that's awesome. Like bringing awareness to an area that isn't so familiar and more off the beaten path. Right. Um, Well, that's amazing. Thanks for all the answers you guys and for sharing your stories with us. Um, We really appreciate having you guys here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, And that wraps up our show. Thank you dear listeners for tuning in. Did you like this episode? Please leave us a podcast review to let us know your thoughts and what you want to hear more of. We truly appreciate your feedback and we'll be back in a couple weeks. That's April 10th with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food.